Welcome, everyone, to another special edition of the Our Strange Skies podcast. And I have a special interview for you today. He is the founder of Small Town Monsters, Seth Breedlove. Seth, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for having me on. I actually, I don't listen to, to many podcasts anymore. In fact, I really only listen to, to like one or two podcasts religiously, but... Um, I got into yours this past year, and it, I can honestly say this, and hopefully a lot of my friends that do paranormal podcasts don't take this the wrong way, but this is this is probably the only show I listen to on the reg. I am uh, humbled. I appreciate that, man. Uh, that is a big honor because uh, I have a lot of respect for the work that you do. Uh, you guys at Small Town Monsters have a lot of great productions under your belt. Uh, um my f- absolute favorite is a uh, invasion on chestnut ridge just a fantastic film um awesome so i guess first things first when did you start to take an interest in like strange the strange kind of phenomenon that you cover on uh you- in your documentaries and uh why did you choose to go through the medium of film to cover them um you know like i don't my my background, like my origin story is so boring. I always feel bad. Cause like, I don't <laughs> have, you know, nothing, nothing's happened to me. Um, I didn't, I didn't experience anything as a kid. I didn't see anything, you know, I mean, I, I, um, the, the God's honest truth is I worked in medical billing and, uh, it's like the boringest, you know, the most, <laughs> most boring job you can have. Yeah. And, um, I spent most of my day listening to podcasts and um, there was at some point uh, dur- during my boredom, I started listening to to podcasts about the paranormal. And I think it started out with like you know just Bigfoot and UFO kinds kind of stuff. I've always been fascinated by UFOs, but you know Bigfoot and that kind of stuff came later. But I was always, I did have an interest in UFOs even as a younger kid. But um, yeah, I got into podcasts, and then at some point, you know, I have this disease where I can't just have like a a hobby if i have a hobby i have to like somehow involve myself in it i have to try to turn it into like a living and um or not a living but like i just have to create things and in, in like like when i was in a comic books i i wrote comic books so stuff like that um and the same thing happened with this like i i just got fascinated with the paranormal and then uh at some point during my my boring job i decided i wanted to try to to create a case book of small town rural monster cases um with a focus on how those cases impacted the communities where they took place and um i sent i sent the proposal i wrote a book proposal i i'd been writing as a side job i'd been writing 
for a, a local newspaper and I, I did reporting, but I also did a couple of newspaper columns about local business and small business and things like that. Um, and I wrote movie reviews too. Um, and I, so I decided to write this book proposal then I sent it out and, uh, it was rejected by everyone. And, uh, about a year later, I ran into these guys who were listening to my podcast, uh, SAS what, and they were interested in trying to, do something together in the visual medium. Um, and I think their, their original idea was to kind of like take SAS what and turn it into like a, bit, a video podcast, but I had really no interest in that. And I'd been toying with the idea of doing documentaries. So I told him like, why don't we just take one of my cases from my book and make it into a documentary. And that ended up being Minerva monster. Um, and so we, we, you know, I had been a film geek as a, as a, teenager especially in fact like my cinematographer my director of photography zach um him and i met outside of a borders books in canton ohio because we were both super into film and i happened to be holding a new york film academy flyer and uh we hit it off over film and even as a kid like we used to make short films and stuff but it's funny like it, it wasn't until probably a year uh into the creation of Minerva Monster before it even hit me that we were making a movie. Like, I just never thought, I never, I never thought of Minerva Monster as a film. Like, it was, it was a fun, like, video project with my, my buddies. So mm -hmm. it was, it was a, yeah, there was nothing, there was no game plan from the very beginning as far as, like, let's, let's create an independent production company. I, I did that, but it all just kind of came naturally. So, since you focus on uh, like the these small town stories, why do you think it's important to document them? Uh, and do you kind of see it as almost like a pseudo anthropological kind of thing where you're you're uh, recording these people's stories? I mean, that's that's definitely a part of it. I try to um, be realistic about what it is we're doing. At the same time, I don't want to. I don't want to put a, out there like the idea that I think this is some sort of altruistic like mission that we're on. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, I mean, I, I think there's a, an importance to all film, um, but especially documentaries. So, you know, I mean, when it, when it comes to uh, witness stories, especially there, there is an importance to that because in a lot of these cases, a lot of the people we talk to have, have never told their story to anyone else or, or they talk about about it very infrequently, or it's never been sort of documented, you know, on, on film or or in writing. So there is a time capsule element to that, where we're we're helping to preserve a story that that might otherwise get lost, um, you know, to time. But um, that 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 is that is really important to me. Um, I think for the crew, it's more about like let's have fun making a, <laughs> a movie together. But right. um, but I mean, I grew up in, you know, my parents owned a bookstore and um, they, they actually owned like a historical bookstore. And so I grew up traveling the country doing book shows with them and I gained a, a, an appreciation for history at a pretty young age. Um, so I can't escape that side of this. Like that's definitely a big part of what we're doing is is doing something to, to preserve the history of these cases. Um, and it's it's interesting too, like even... Even looking at like my grandpa's, my grandpa passed away a few years ago, and and uh, you know like there was so much of his life that disappeared when he died. You know, like mm -hmm. his, the story, the stories that he had disappeared when he died. And I think 
I think that's an, a, a big element to this that that might otherwise go, you know, overlooked. I mean, obviously, some of these people have told their times on film, you know, like some even some of the people we've talked to. Um, but, you know, for every one person that does that, I think there's five or six who've never told their story at all. You know, like Ed, Ed and Fred May, um, Fred had told the Flatwoods monster story, but Ed had never even spoke about it to Fred and they were mm. brothers. So yeah. when we got them, you know, when, when we shot Ed's interview about the Flatwoods monster, they, they were standing there together. And Fred, after the fact told me that was the first time I've ever heard Ed tell that story. So, you know, like there, there's definitely, I mean, the short answer is yes, there's an, <laughs> there's a historical significance to these stories and they might otherwise disappear. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I can, respect that um i've i've lost a lot of people too and i and like you're it's almost like your memory kind of just like gets terrible because they're not in your life anymore Mm -hmm. and uh a a couple of years ago i ended up just doing a google search on my dad i'm just like let's see what's information's out there and uh Mm -hmm. I, i found this weird quote from this book that uh, he was in uh, radio for like 22 years, I think it was. And I was like, this is interesting. Uh, I didn't really get much of uh, anything on it at, on the internet at the time. So I was like, all right, I'll just find a used copy of this book. And uh, it was kind of cool because uh, this week I was able to like quote it in my other podcast. So it's kind of cool how, mm-hmm. you know, we try to find new ways to like keep those memories alive. And I think, you know, you definitely do that with these stories, which is very cool. And, uh, I, I have mad respect for that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other part of that too, is, it's just that the community itself, a lot of these towns, uh, view, view these stories very, very negatively, you know, mm-hmm. like not, not, not every town is point pleasant where they've, where they've sort of embraced the Mothman story. Not every town is, is that way. In fact, I mean, most of them are doing everything they can to sort of let, let the story die. So, I mean, I think in that respect too, it's a, it's a big part of the, these events especially are, are a big part of the history of the communities where they take place. And I do think in cases like Momo, um, you know, that town would love for that story to go away. I don't know why mm-hmm. that is, but, you know, so so if it isn't for um, Small Town Monsters or Lauren Coleman or Lyle Blackburn or, you know, people that document these cases, that that's a big, uh, that's a big up, upside to it as well. Have you ever gone to a location and gotten kind of pushback from the community for wanting to tell these stories? Yeah, I, I mentioned Momo. I think that's the <laughs> one that, directly springs to mind and i mean it's part of the it, we kind of like put left it in the movie you know like i mean people um the the local what was she 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 called herself it was funny she called herself a local historian but she knew nothing about the town's history um i can't remember i think she was like that she had something to do with tourism or something but she was very like very adamant that this is not an important piece of our history she said, it, I think the quote that's in the movie is, it's a part of our history. It's not an important part of our history. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, but but the thing is, I don't know how you can say that. You know, like, most people know Louisiana, Missouri because of Momo. Even though it's, even though that story has become much less popular than it was in the 70s. You know, if anyone knows about Louisiana, Missouri, for the most part, it's because of Momo. So, 
they they might not want it to be a part of their history, but it is. And uh, yeah, I don't. We've we've got we got a little bit of pushback there. We've never been like run out of a town or anything like that. Um, but there's been there there have definitely been situations where we we had a difficult time filming um, because the town didn't really care that we were there doing a story about something that they would rather forget. When we were actually, you mentioned Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. That was one where. Um, you know, the communities, these things go like one of two ways. Either the community is glad you're there and they will do everything they can to sort of help you do what you need to do. You know, get into the locations you need to get into and film where you need to go. Or um, or it's the exact opposite and they're totally sort of closed off to you being there. They won't run you off, but you're not welcome sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And... uh I think what's cool about uh, specifically like the main Bigfoot stories that you've told, like a lot of them take place in the seventies and like, mm-hmm. have you, have you noticed how like distinct the actual Bigfoot creatures are? They don't like necessarily yeah, yeah. resemble like your mundane Bigfoot. There's always some weird feature about them. Yeah. The seventies especially have the weird, like, the 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 quote unquote character design yeah. of the nineteen seventies is very specific because like Minerva, you've got this like it it was unique because it had stubby legs mm-hmm. um, and long arms uh, and and sort of I guess Momo was similar to that as well. Although everyone thinks of Momo as just being like basically a walking carpet, yeah, and um, <laughs> and and so there's yeah yeah definitely like the 70s are really unique in that in that respect and and you had like the devil monkey reports and all that stuff going on in the 70s as well um that's my favorite era for i mean i think it's pretty obvious if you <laughs> if you watch yeah, the movies but like that's yeah that's my favorite era to sort of tell stories in and it's i didn't grow up in i grew up you know i was born in 1981 so i grew up in the 80s um but the 70s are are uh there's something about that that specific time period that really works for like horror and, and the era of, of Bigfoot, especially like Bigfoot stories. Yeah. And you see a lot of parallels to that. And like, also like UFO stories in, in the way that people encounter like humanoids of some kind, because they're all very strange. There's very different. There's, there's a case that I covered on one episode with this kid, Lee Parrish, he was like some 19 year old kid and he was driving home from uh, a friend's house late at night and he gets abducted out of his truck and he's brought into a room and they're not beings that he's in front of. They're like machines. So like very strange stuff. And in like 1973, the year of the humanoids, like that was just, wild all all together so i don't know what it is about the 70s man but it definitely slung some weird stuff (laughs) yeah i mean that was actually it's funny you'd mention that because that was going to be an episode of on the trail of ufos was going to be about the um there's an episode of on the trail of bigfoot called rise of the monsters Mm -hmm. and we were gonna we were gonna do rise of the humanoids for um for for on the trail of ufos but um it ended up being one of the episodes that got cut for time, but that that is 
that was interesting. I mean, most of most of the ufological stuff we got into, um, obviously the whole series is ufological, so I don't know what I mean by that. But um, <laughs> but a, a lot of that was either like learning or relearning for me. I've I've always been interested in UFOs, but I'm not, you know, I'm not in it like I like I might be some of the cryptid stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was really interesting for me in like interviewing Alejandro, where he was talking about. The, the different areas of ufology and how you had, you know, the contactee movement followed by sort of the, 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 the I forget what he called it. It wasn't humanoids. I think he called it like the creature era or something like that, where you had it, it, all of a sudden people were meeting the pilots of the craft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that sort of led into the, like the, the era of abduction and, and, you know, wherever we are now today the tom de long era or whatever you want to call it <laughs> right um so <laughs> uh you know you started the this series the on the trail series and you've done champ which is like a a close personal favorite of mine because i live about uh, an hour and a half away from lake champlain and uh, awesome and you've done uh bigfoot and now you're doing on the trail of ufos comes out in march um, what was the impetus to do a series on UFOs rather than to do like maybe a, a shorter documentary on like, say the, the incident in, uh, in Exeter or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, we, so yeah, let me go back to the beginning. So we made mm-hmm. Minerva with, with basically handy cams and, um, and, and camcorders and cell phones. And like we, and we did that honestly for the first like three movies, even Moth made a point pleasant. Um, our interview or our recreations were being shot with an iPhone. So, um, what happened is, uh, after the Moth made a point pleasant came out, it was the first movie where we'd sort of dabbled, uh, with, um, uh, recreations. And all of a sudden there was, there was a real drive, within our crew to sort of up the game from project to project because we we saw what we could do with with that the visual side of things and and so pretty much from from boggy creek monster up to present day the movies have continued to grow um cinematic more cinematic with each project and we we keep trying to outdo what we did before um, but what you lose when you do, when you're doing that is sort of the run and gun nature of what I loved about what we did in the early days. Mm-hmm. So on the trail of um, was originally supposed to be a, a, a sort of like episodic version of what we did with the movies, um, and and on the trail of Champ was going to be directed by Alexander Petikov and he was going to have a crew of like three or four guys and they were going to go out and make it. And I gave him a budget and I was like, here you go. And I just produced that one. Well, the day Alexander was supposed to go film on the trail of Champ, everyone that was supposed to be part of his crew dropped out. So Alex ended up making on the trail of Champ completely alone. Um, literally like shot the entire movie. Every shot in the movie was, was Alex on his own. (laughs) And, um, and all the drone footage, all the interviews, did his own sound, all that stuff. And I was, like, really inspired by that because that's kind of what we did with Beast of Whitehall. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the On the Trail of Champ kind of – it wasn't very successful for an STM project, but it cost, like, nothing. So we, we didn't lose anything on it. So I was like, I'm going to do, like, On the Trail of Bigfoot. 
because I was, I was, it had been a, like a year or so since we'd done anything about Bigfoot and I was feeling the itch again. So I decided to sort of take what Alex had done, which was go out with a camera by m- myself and make it. And I did that. Like I, I shot all of on the trail of Bigfoot by myself, but it was, um, but it was different in that obviously I traveled around the country and there were crews with me maybe one or two times. And by crews, I mean, at one time I had, um, my buddy, Mark Matsky's 16 year old son shooting, <laughs> shooting <laughs> with me. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty much whoever I could pull in, in to, you know, hold a camera. Um, but, but that was honestly the, the impetus for doing on the trail of was just to get back to the run and gun sort of like grassroots style that we started with because I'm, I missed it. And I love the movies and the great thing about what we're doing now where we we're doing a little bit of both is like by the time I'm finishing and on the trail of series, I'm ready to do something more cinematic. And by the time I'm done with a movie, I'm ready to get back into like the, the run and gun travel filmmaking. So it's, it's been a really I love the balance, but um, on the trail of UFOs was was the natural progression from Bigfoot, and um, I think originally what we were looking at is is like each season of On the Trail of was going to be a different topic. So we did On the Trail of Champ, then we did On the Trail of Bigfoot, and then we did On the Trail of UFOs. I think it's going to take a different turn going forward and um, probably expand a lot more than we were we were thinking originally, but. But I really wanted to delve into the UFO topic as a whole and use um, some of these big events, like you mentioned Exeter, um, Area 51, things like that, as a um, tool to sort of examine the, the phenomena or phenomena um, as a whole. And, and obviously a big part of what we do is introducing you know, a general audience or new, new people to these subjects. You know, on the trail of Bigfoot, it was really it acts really well as an introduction to the Bigfoot subject. And um, that's what I wanted to do with this while also trying to make it um, uh, friendly, friendly to like a, you know, a knowledgeable audience and also to, to make it as much about the culture of, of UFOs, the community that surrounds UFOs as it was about the topic of UFOs. I don't know if you, you've seen six of the episodes. I don't know if that comes across or not, but that was like, that was something we wanted to do was, um, I know Jason, uh, Yudis, who, who does my sound, him and I are huge fans of, uh, King of Kong, the mm-hmm. documentary. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that, that doc really like examines arcade culture and, and we wanted to do something similar in a way in that we wanted it to be as much taking a look at the, the culture surrounding UFOs and the community surrounding UFOs as it was about UFOs. And, you know, just from the tone of those six episodes and, and, uh, it's done really well. It's laid out really well in that you kind of don't leave any stones unturned. It's a great introduction for people that aren't really familiar with the subject, but it is also inviting to those that have researched this for many years. So I I think you did a great job on that end of it, um, I, I thought it was also cool because at, at one point you covered the like the ghost light phenomenon, which a lot of people don't really tie into UFOs necessarily, but um, uh, I, I thought that was a cool move uh, to do that. And I mean, Micah Hanks on screen is always a, uh, is a, a good interviewer. <laughs> interviewee. Yeah, that, that was, uh, it's funny because that episode 
was the one episode where I shoehorned in something specifically because it's it fascinates me. Mm-hmm. So like the the ghost lights and spook lights, like that's been something I'm I'm really into. In fact, like we just finished doing I think two two episodes of my podcast about it, and um, and so like I that that was honestly done pretty much just so I could go to Brown Mountain, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, and and Shannon and I were having this conversation while we were driving up to meet Micah, and it was basically like, so how are you tying this in? It was like, I have no idea. Like, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out in the edit. <laughs> and, uh, and thankfully, like, Ryan and, uh, I forget who ties it in so well. I know Ryan really does, but I think it might be Michael Huntington as well. But the, they, like, bring it full circle back into ufology at the very end, and it, it, could not have been planned better. Like I didn't plan that. In fact, when I in, in when I interviewed Ryan, I, it didn't have anything. To, I didn't even know I was going to do a, a spook light episode at that point. So that was that was like a just just the timing of it all worked out really well, and what he said played played into it so good. The what what I wanted to do was um, on the trail of Bigfoot is is very. Uh, sort of stereotypical in a way in 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 how it tells the the history of bigfoot it it opens with like ape canyon and albert ostman and then it moves through to you know the 1970s and then it brings it up to sort of present day and you hit all the major benchmarks and you you meet you know peter you hear about peter byrne and john green and all these guys um i didn't i didn't want to do that again like i didn't want to tell the the history of ufology or, or ufos um, chronologically at all, but I wanted to mix in the, the big sort of benchmarks of the subject, just not in a way that you would necessarily expect. So Roswell's in there, but it's a part of the area 51 episode. And it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's a theme of that or a subplot of that episode. And, um, you know, say Exeter is, is how we, is the, the, um, the bookends for the episode about, you know, popular theories as to what is actually piloting the UFOs. And Exeter is one of my, I've always loved the Exeter event, that, that particular Mm. story. Um, So I was really excited to, to get to do that. Um, And we have others, like we we have so much stuff we didn't get to that we shot is what's crazy because we traveled so much and we shot so many interviews. We actually have enough that we could have cut at least two more full episodes for the season. Um, unfortunately there's a thing called budgets and we just we're, <laughs> right. we're out of we're out of money <laughs> uh you know unfortunately that does happen but uh, yeah so um yeah i think one of the great things about uh the series is that you got uh shannon legro to narrate this thing how did she come on to this project uh shannon and i have known each other since before i started shooting minerva and before she even had into the fray um, so we, we've actually known each other since 2014, um, when we met at a finding Bigfoot town hall meeting in Ohio. <laughs> uh, so that, that's actually, she, she lived in Ohio for a, a very short period of time. And during that time we met at this town hall meeting and, uh, we hit it off. And like during that like year and a half or whatever that she lived here, we, we hung out at a, at a bunch of different Bigfoot events and, um, you know, and then from there, it just kind of, we, we, we always talked online and then, 
you know, we had a we had a group group text going for a while, and and we always talked about doing something together. Um, but it wasn't until we made on the trail of, of Bigfoot, and I was able to bring her here to to be a part of the Adams County uh, night ops. That I I was like, we have to get you like your own series, like your own on the trail of uh, subject. And I hated. I really don't like being in front of the camera. I don't think I'm meant to be in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I liked being able to get back behind the camera and letting her be the the focal point of it. And and just like in it's funny because in some ways she's we have a lot in common in in how uh, we approach the subjects. Like she calls herself a collector of stories. She she used that line the very first time she used that line was during her. Uh, her interview for on the trail of Bigfoot and I really liked it. And I use it throughout on the trail of UFOs. She mentioned it like two or three times. Um, and so, so I, I liked that phrase and I thought that was a really great way to introduce her into, into the role of like the host, the quote unquote host of the series. And, um, so yeah, she, she, she did a great job and she's like, she's, she, is up for anything when you're when you're filming and mm-hmm. you, you don't have to worry about making her miserable she, she most of the time she was the one like picking me up because <laughs> <laughs> like i have a i have a habit of uh being uh i i, I suffer from migraine uh headaches yeah. and then i'm yeah. i'm perpetually grumpy Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she has a, uh, a good way of like getting me back, uh, on my feet when we're, we're doing these sh- shoots. So she's definitely going to be a part of, of whatever we do next. That's always good to have someone like that around, man. Cause, uh, uh, I've definitely got those few friends that will, you know, crack the one joke that will bring me back from the brink of like whatever I'm dealing with. So it's definitely yeah. always good to have someone like that in your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, that's been a key part of STM. It really, I mean, it's like the, the group that we have is, um, I mean, Zach and Jason are, are two of my oldest friends, but Adam and I have only known each other a couple of years. And Alexander, who was a part of the East Coast shoot, him and I have only known each other for a couple of years. So it, you have to be able to click with those people or you'll all, I think, I think the whole thing will fall apart. Like just, just knowing what we had to go through making on the trail of UFOs, I, I don't think we could have done it you know, without, without the crew we had, we were all sick too. By the end of that East coast leg of the, of the trip when we were up in the white mountains, um, Shannon had actually flown into Orlando and joined my wife and I on like the last day of our family vacation. And then she rode back up with us, um, to Ohio (laughs) from Orlando (laughs) and we did, we did filming on on the way back up, and she was sitting in the back seat with my two year old. So like, that's what a trooper she is. Like she was, she was put through uh, hell because he was very unhappy about the fifteen hour drive, and we had to shoot <laughs> anyway. On the and, and then I gave her a cold. Like on the way back up from Orlando, I had a cold, and I gave it to her. So by the time we hit the White Mountains um, for like the most intense part of the shoot, she was really sick like she she had a terrible cold and it had been passed on to zach and i think adam got it so we were all getting sick by the time we were leaving to head back to ohio from that trip so it was it would have been really miserable if we don't if we all like hated each other i don't think we would have survived someone would have (laughs) murdered everyone 
Yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, definitely been there before. It's no fun making other people sick, but you know it happens. It, it, yeah. It's how you. It's how you bond. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's that was my. That's what I kept telling them. I got you sick so we could bond. <laughs> So, uh, I think, uh, one of the great things that you do in the first episode of the series is kind of take a look at where ufology is kind of right now. And, uh, there are, you know, a few people that you talk to in that episode, like David Weatherly and Alejandro Rojas, and you ask them the question of where are we now versus 30 to 40 years ago. So I kind of want to get your thoughts where you think we are in terms of, you know, UFO research and, and such now versus in the past. Yeah, I mean, the my take on it is that there really is a, a, a um, and I, I guess I don't really need to be that careful because the final episode really puts a lot of a lot of this sort of attitude on blast anyway. But um, I mean, just just what I've seen is that there there is much more of an interest in like being on TV and mm-hmm. um getting famous uh, th- than there is on the actual subject and i think that runs like that runs across all all of the paranormal topics you know like ufo's and i mean the ghost the ghost world is that's all it is like <laughs> like it's just people yeah, it's people yelling and yeah yes. it's people yelling into rooms and asking yeah. each other if they heard that yeah yeah and um and UFOs is is sort of like heading. I don't know if it's heading in that direction. It's weird because the community is so fractured and so negative. Um, my my reaction to 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 the minimal amount of of interaction I've had with like the UFO community was I I really don't know that I want to be um, that I want to make this series because I, I'm genuinely afraid someone's going to like hate me or or i'm gonna get blasted or i mean i made a mothman movie and we had death threats from someone so you know like is this going to be that same sort of thing and um i i i hate the negativity of of all of this right now i don't know where that's coming from or if that's just the current state of the world um but that seems there's just seems to be so much negativity and then um there definitely is like an obsession with sort of getting on tv but having said that um, it's funny cause I, I know there's a real, uh, war going on over, over TTSA and all that stuff. Um, and I, and I get it. I do think it's bringing in a whole new, um, generation of people that, that might never have had an interest in this subject. I think it, it will do that. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that can be a good thing, you know, as lo- as long as they are in it, you know, for the right reasons and they're, they're into it. Um, you know, for, for whatever is exciting to them and, and not just trying to, to get a TV show or whatever. Um, so that's, that's cool. Um, I don't know. This is the least eloquent response I've ever given for any (laughs) question ever. I, I, I don't want to come across as negative as, as I probably am. And I'm saying that all these other people are negative while being extremely negative. My, my interaction with the people that we had in the series who are, are part of the UFO community was really positive. I didn't have a single bad experience interviewing anyone we spoke to, um, during during the making of this and i do think we hit a a pretty good breadth of like different age groups and and 
male and female and you know like all that kind of stuff like i i think we got a good balance of voices into the series and and i do think that there are a lot of really uh solid people that are that are into it i just i do have concerns about some some of the some of the community and some of the voices that are i guess in in the episode i just wrote which is the final episode i i make or shannon makes the we the thing about it is shannon and i talked about all this but it's weird because i'm writing the words that she's saying but it's still it's an it's a expression that she that we have sort of come to agreement on you know so i i'm never necessarily putting words in her mouth but um in the in the eighth episode i said that the um it seems like a lot of the mouthpieces for the community right now are unfortunately sort of the the ones that tend to be chasing the the fame. Yeah, it's gotten so bad online like for a long time maybe for the like the first year and a half that I was doing my podcast I was like yeah, you know what I am a UFO researcher I guess, you know, uh, I guess that's what I do and then um it got really toxic really quick to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I'm a storyteller. I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a UFO researcher anymore. Like that's, uh, that's the good way to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like take the neutral stance if you can. And like, um, I think that you give enough to like everybody in this documentary that uh, in this series that I think, I don't think you're going to receive a lot of blowback. I like you seriously received death threats for doing the Mothman documentary. Yeah, we actually, we, we had a, yeah, we ended up calling the police actually. We had a, and it was unfortunate. It was, my wife was pregnant with our kid and, uh, she, she got them actually. <laughs> the, ah. the, the, yeah, it came, it came to her. So, um, you know, and I don't, again, I'm not, that's not me saying that I think the UFO community is, is, terrible and people that are in it are going right. to come after us you just right. never know like like what the response to something like this is going to be because they're really you know if you watch the first episode we really do make some pretty bold statements about the current state of things mm-hmm. yeah. um and and, and, and especially to like what's on tv and like if you compare it to ancient aliens or whatever they're they're not going on um Giorgio Tsoukalos isn't going on Asian Aliens and like saying that that there's a ton of people in the in the UFO community who are chasing money, and he's not saying yeah you know, like there's just some there's some pretty bold statements in in episode one and and they come up again in episode eight. So um, I had opinions on it go, coming into it and and they're in the you know those episodes, but I think that's what sets our stuff apart. Like especially on the trail of, I think that's what sets it apart from what's on TV. Like we we're completely autonomous. Like we're completely independent. We don't have to report to anyone, so we can pretty much say whatever we we want. You know, right, right. As long as you know, as long as it's not insane uh, or attacking anyone. So I don't I don't think we did that. I think we point out what some of the issues are right now and why you know, why the search for the truth might actually be hindered by what's going on. I think, uh, I think that's a fair assessment, you know, and I, I think, um, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so in the, in the series, you kind of explore some of the various theories, uh, within 
uh, ufology, uh, whether that's the extraterrestrial hypothesis, interdimensional, re- you know, kind of reality of things. Is there any way in which you lean toward this phenomenon? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I think I'm in, in the, um, in the camp of like 90% of it has, has roots in, in, in our government or like other governments. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm still kind of in that, that area. Um, when it comes to like the UFOs themselves, I, I guess you can put me in the in, inter, inter, interdimensional camp. Um, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I, I tr- I'm not trying to ride the fence. I just, I really, it, it's funny in, in the year that we were making this, we, we had no major experiences of our own, nothing that we could definitively point to and say, you know, like I saw this. Um, I can tell you Dan Weiss's sighting, the sighting that's sort of the focus of episode one, mm-hmm. um, that, that did make me question a lot of things and especially the government angle. Like that's kind of what, led me in that direction because what he saw is so bizarre it doesn't make any sense for there to be like extraterrestrial life coming to earth and floating above a major city not a major city but a a big urban area like that where you could be seen it was just the little stories like like his are are what keeps me invested in this stuff so um the the short answer is I don't really have a theory I particularly subscribe to but I do think a large part of this is is government you know government manipulation to some extent i have gone that way many times with some of the cases that i research uh and especially <laughs> like some of the abduction cases like uh i just released uh, a two-part series Betty on and Bernie that. Hill. yeah and yeah. one of the things that i was tagged in was like well, a lot of the military personnel that they interacted with were involved in, you know, government mind control experiments, so could this be that? And then I'm like, yeah, but at the same time, you're talking about a non-conventional craft that didn't make any sound, that right. moved in very strange and erratic ways, so, well, what does the government have their hands on? Did they mm-hmm. just, like, douse them with LSD, like, uh, MK Ultra kind of situation, or what? And um, I tend to kind of think that way about one of my own, like, personal sightings uh, a few years ago, because it was it was weird. It was just broad daylight out of, on a break at, at work, and I was standing with a co-worker, and uh, we just looked up and we saw this huge, like, egg in the sky. Like, there's really... I don't even know how to preface that. It looked like a giant egg. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, well, I think that aspect to it is always going to be there, and it's always going to kind of be valid, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what is the nature of the cover-up? Is it the government's right. covering up, like, a technology, or is the government, like, trying to keep people calm for you know, whatever reason, like to prevent mass hysteria or whatever. And I think that's yeah one of the things that is the struggle of trying to figure it out. Well, it's, it's part of what I love about ufology, especially, not especially, but when compared with something like Bigfoot, um, mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, what 
I mean, I haven't announced this anywhere. We're, we're planning on sort of expanding into to on the trail of Bigfoot becoming an ongoing and on the trail of UFOs becoming an ongoing as well. And it's interesting in looking at the two and how we'll do that going forward. I feel like in those six episodes of On the Trail of Bigfoot, we sort of touched on a little bit of everything. You know, like we, we've pretty mm-hmm. much hit all, all the big things you need to when it comes to Bigfoot. And, um, and, and with UFOs, we haven't even scratched the surface. I mean, you, you, I, I already have the whole outline for what a second season of On the Trail of UFOs would be. And, um, you know, with Bigfoot, we had to come up with a completely different way of approaching an ongoing. Like, how do you do that? How do you do On the Trail of, Uf- of, of Bigfoot as an ongoing versus On the Trail of UFOs? Because with UFOs, we could, we could just keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like e- each, each episode sort of delves into a different subtopic. And, you know, with Bigfoot, you're going to run out of subtopics pretty, pretty quick. Um, and so how do you turn that into to sort of a, a regular, you know, like an, a, an episodic series that runs season to season. And uh, I, I think I'll, I think what we're going to do is like on the trail of Bigfoot's going to just go to a different state each episode and we'll run through the, you know, like we'll go out with different investigators in that state, delve into the history of the state a little bit. And that will be how, how that season, how that series is laid out. But on the trail of UFOs is totally different. There's so much to explore. Um, and like I said, we barely scratched the surface in the first season of this. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, there's a... It almost seems like with UFOs, there's a historical element. There's always going to be that way that it ties into our history, whereas, like, Bigfoot isn't tied to that necessarily. I'm not exactly sure, you know, why that is. It could just be due to, like, the fact that... UFOs really in the modern era just like popped up out of nowhere and, and mm-hmm. they were a, a lot more easily documented and there's a lot more linear history there, which is uh, a fascinating because like the record is just full of so many wild cases. Um, yeah. So uh, while you guys were on the trail of UFOs, did you see any UFOs? Um, the, the, so we've seen in in episode I think three. There's we saw something over Sedona. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty sure it was a helicopter, uh, mm-hmm. but but at the time with the video we had and what we were seeing, we did not know exactly what it was. However, after we got the video home, and even in in the episode, you can see what we're seeing. I I think there's a flash happening there, which I believe would be lights on. A helicopter um, and it went down behind a mesa is what's strange about it but that was the first incident where we thought we saw something and then there were two um more incidents in one night and that gets sort of brought up in the final episode we were out with a lady named carolyn uh in the white mountains and carolyn is um she's into like this what is it ce5 the the uh yeah the Greer stuff. She, she's really into all that. And, um, so she was doing this ritual thing where she was sort of dancing and slapping herself. And, um, and she says, you know, usually we're, we're, we're doing this and all of a sudden something pops up in the sky. And I mean, you can see it on, it's funny because these two incidents happen back to back. So she's standing there like doing her ritual or whatever. And all of a sudden, like 
right overhead, this light came out of nowhere. Like this light is all of a sudden in the, in the air above us moving pretty quickly. And while that's happening, you know, we're all drawn to that. And while that's happening, Alexander sees this bright orange light just shoot across the sky and down behind this hill across, uh, across from where we were. And what's interesting is we were in, you know, we were in the white mountains. We were maybe three miles from where the Betty and Barney Hill thing happened. Um, so that was, that was interesting. We don't know what, what either of those things were. And this is part of the series. I mean, this gets brought up a lot. The, the futility of attempting to chase a UFO, like, you're not going to go to a location and just magically bump into a UFO really. You know, I mean, they, they seem to sort of pick when, (laughs) when you'll have a sighting. So, um, at times it, it is very different from, from making something like on the trail of Bigfoot, because with Bigfoot, you walk into any forest, any dense forest in America, and you probably have, um, uh, you, you probably have a chance or, or some sort of, uh, opportunity of experiencing or seeing something unusual, you know, whether or not it's Bigfoot, I don't know, but at least, you know, you're going to, there, there's probably going to be something weird that happens if you're in there long enough. And, and with UFOs, um, it feels completely, uh, futile, futile to sort of, <laughs> to sort yeah. of go to these locations and whip out your camera and go out there. And then you all stand around looking at the sky and think you're going to actually capture something that you can say is a UFO. So, um, you know, like it, but, but that's part of, I mean, I've made that part of the narrative of the, of the, of the episodes that, that we talked about that. So, um, but yeah, we, we did experience it. We ex- at least experienced those three things, you know, three lights in the sky. We don't know what any of them were. We didn't really, other than the Sedona thing, we didn't capture any of them on camera. Um, but you do get our sort of reactions to them. I should probably have really trumped this up. So, so listeners would really want to check out the series. So, well, well they should yeah. check out the series cause it's, <laughs> it, it's amazing. I loved it. So you need to go check it out. <laughs> we, we all got abducted. That's, uh, actually, that, yeah. if you watch episode eight, all, yeah. all, every one of us got abducted. So <laughs> check it out to, to really, to really experience it. In an episode, you, covered uh cover-ups uh which was mm-hmm. which was a cool episode you you kind of didn't really stay in one place which is what i liked you know because like uh you devoted a little bit of time to the stuff that is usually given a lot of time so mm-hmm. uh you went out to area 51 so yeah. were you ever scared while you were out there what, what was the experience like filming out there yeah we were we were scared the entire time. Um, that was the day. So, I mean, it's part of the, the episode. Uh, that was the day that the whole, you know, the, I, I guess that the area storm area 51 had been a, a Facebook page for, for like a couple weeks at that point. But, um, the day we were driving was the day that it had hit the, the media. So it, mm-hmm. it had hit, um, I forget who did the first big story on it, but it was the same day, you know, like the, the day that that happened and, and the meme went viral was the day we were driving there. And, um, you know, like, I guess we didn't, we didn't know that it was as big as it was until we got back into Vegas. But, um, when we got out there, we were scared because what happened is we pulled up, you, you can see when we first pull off to the side of the road 
and get out of the cars, we're still a pretty good distance from the gates. And there was a white pickup truck down by the gates that we were convinced was the camo dudes. We couldn't see them from where we were. We, we were like, Oh, it's like, they know we're, <laughs> they know we're here because what was funny was, um, the car we followed in was the exact same make model and color as the car we were in. So, so it looked like some weird convoy of like <laughs> nondescript SUVs driving out to the gates of area 51 and so we were convinced they thought we were like there to to like bust in or something like that. So um it turned out that was just a family, like a happy go lucky tourist family with like three kids and a, and a mom and dad um that that were in the pickup truck, not camo dudes. So we never did see camo dudes and we never really saw anyone. We didn't see any any, you know, guards or anything. Um but I think it was definitely it was definitely a little unnerving. Like at, at one point, the guy we interviewed mentioned that um, that they pull your your plate numbers and and run your records pretty much as soon as you get there. They if you walk up to that gate, like they know who you are, and um, that was like that was intimidating for sure. I was <laughs> like, great, well, you know, I don't have a criminal background or anything, but I, it, it's unnerving to know to to think that they know exactly who I am you know yeah um so so yeah it was it was it was a little getting there i i do think we were on such a high by the time we left that um you know that the drive back that day was amazing i mean we were we were pumped however we were exhausted we had driven we drove to area 51 from sedona so that i think that's like a i think that's a seven hour drive from sedona Mm. to area 51 and then uh, we had to drive the two two and a half hours back to Vegas. So we had, you know, we drove out there, did all that filming. We stopped and did filming along the way, and then we we drove all the way back to Vegas. And by the time we got to Vegas, I had not eaten anything the entire day, and so yeah, so we were we were all exhausted. And but but there was more of a high than there was like any kind of fear after we made it out of Area 51. Also, Shannon is is a psychopath when she's behind the wheel. So like <laughs> like on that drive into Area 51, she's doing 60 miles an hour. You can't. Yeah. And we're we're on a gravel road, um, and the car is floating above above the the gravel. On the way out, I drove. And I did 40, and I was terrified the entire time that I was just going to wreck the car, you know? <laughs> yeah, she, like, uh, there, the the shots as you're going down the road, the look on her face, I'm like, do you ever show emotion at all? Are you yeah. just, like, that stone cold? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how she is. Like, she'll, yeah, that's, I, that's what I mean. Like, when we're out with her, um, she's, like, she was the lone girl on that leg of the trip Mm. and i'm i'm pretty sure i felt more confident if she was around me because i felt like she would protect me if something happened Mm -hmm. so that's just she's she's like the the she's the badass in the group hell yeah she is (laughs) also like how the hell hot was it out there because you went there in july didn't you it was brutal um phoenix was 114 um, and then area 51, I, I feel like it wasn't anywhere near as bad. Nevada was nowhere near as bad as Arizona. Um, Arizona was horrendous. Like you, you 
felt like you were baking to death. But Phoenix was the worst. It cooled down a little bit when we hit Sedona. I, I think it was only like 105 or something like that. So, um, yeah, it was bad. It was really hot. And I, pl- you know, when we when we got to Vegas, it was so bad during the day you couldn't go outside. Like I was afraid we would die if we went outside. So on on the final day uh, in Vegas, we shot. Uh, Sean, Kevin, Jason, and David Weatherly's interviews, and um, it was it was so hot outside that I didn't bother to leave the hotel. Like we were staying at the Luxor, uh, so I didn't actually know what Vegas looked like until that night. Like we went <laughs> we went out to do all the B roll filming around town, and that was my first and uh, potentially only Vegas experience. <laughs> Do you have any like favorite stories that emerged during filming, whether about UFOs or uh, people investigating them? You know, I I really loved Ron Regeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he, in the last episode, he has some really good lines. Um, so so just a lot of what he said was so interesting to me, like his history with Bob Lazar, and um, and the Tehran UFO, and the. That guy, there's. This is always the way it is with our projects. There's like one person or two people that I really latch onto, um, usually in the edit. And and for me, it was Ron. Uh, and then the other one uh, was Ryan uh, Sprague. And and you know, just in all honesty, I've only spoken with Ryan a, a few times. Um, mm. You know, I'd been I'd been on his show, and we had talked. Um, through through messenger but i'd never really spoken to him and that interview we did with him in in the uh in in our crappy airbnb apartment in jersey (laughs) city um that was probably my favorite interview we shot just just because it was so relaxed and i was already exhausted keep in mind that was our second day of the it, it was weird it was it was the second day of the East Coast leg of filming, but if you count the part where we had like met Shannon in Orlando and driven back up, it was like day five. So by that point, I was already completely exhausted, and interviews really wipe me out usually because mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, like I have to keep all these things in mind that I have to ask, and I'm trying to ask counter questions and all that kind of stuff. And um, his interview is more like just talking to a friend, and yeah. and so for me, that was as much a a blessing as any part of the shoot. And then that night we had an amazing time. We went down to Times Square and I did all the filming down there that ends up in the last episode. And then we had uh, incredible brick oven pizza at this Italian restaurant where we got berated by this little old Italian woman. Um, <laughs> and Zach, uh, my director of photography is very Italian. So he, he loved it. Like he loved every minute of this. The second the woman started <laughs> screaming at a table full of children, he was, he had the biggest grin on his face. And I knew that would be like the most memorable night of our trip. And it was so, um, little things like that, you know, like it, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this stuff relating directly to UFOs and the subject that I end up loving about the project i don't even notice when it's going on you know mm-hmm. like you're just asking questions and in interviews and you're you're making sure you get what needs captured at that time and then you get into the edit and you're like okay this is amazing i get that with on the trail of bigfoot it was a little different because i had things happen to me when i was in oklahoma and we captured that um but but with this one you know like just just being with the people i was with and in the places we were 
uh, and some of the memories we we made i i think it wasn't until i got into post production where i started really noticing aspects of ufology or or ufology stories or ufo stories that i that i was really into and was excited to sort of travel down in the edit um dan weiss is again like i can't say this enough dan weiss is someone that i've known for a few years and his little story is really powerful to me and i Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping we can revisit it at some point because his sisters you know witness the ufo with him and they're both willing to talk about it um unfortunately we couldn't get them to, to to do an interview the day that we had the one day we had Shannon in Ohio to, to shoot that interview with him. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, on the surface, it's such a sort of basic sighting, except it's of a full size craft and it's right. landing in a, in a forested area, but a forested area that's surrounded by a really dense uh, urban area, you know, that stretches all the, all the way into Akron. Akron. Barberton is a, I would, they call it its own city, but Barberton's really just part of Akron. It's like a, a suburb of Akron. And um, so it's a really dense area, and for, for there to be something like that is so interesting to me, and the fact that so many people saw it. And this isn't, the best thing about it is this, it's a story I discovered, you know, so it's not something that everyone that sees the series has already heard about a thousand times, you know, it's like this little UFO sighting story. And, and his story directed sort of the the um the f- not the flow it uh directed the vision i guess of of the entire series as far as like let's let's put the focus back on like the people and mm-hmm. you know the, the investigators the witnesses and and that's you know that was what we wanted to do when we came into it we had all these conversations about how everyone's looking to like be on tv and no one's really looking at the skies anymore. And there was a great conversation that Shannon had with Adam Dugan where they discussed that. And that was the entire, the entire direction of their conversation was about how no one looks at the skies anymore and how in the earliest days of UFO research, you know, like if you think of like Kenneth Arnold and, and all those, the really early days of it, um, there was, there was less of like this, scary aliens coming to kill us thing and it was more about looking to the skies for answers Mm -hmm. and that was something that i do feel is has sort of disappeared from ufology um and we that was originally going to be a a constant um i'm trying to think of the right not message but it was going to be part of the yeah i guess the message of the series was that you know look look to the skies for answers and um unfortunately like it just didn't work we couldn't get it we couldn't get that conversation into the series there's a, we we actually went to cape canaveral and shot all this stuff at nasa that also is not <laughs> that also is not in the series so i'm hoping you know like when season two takes off or whatever we'll we'll be able to reuse a bunch of that stuff and then i'll finally be able to get my uh look to the skies ranters nonsense in there <laughs> No, that sounds great, and I'm I'm excited that there is go. It's going to be an ongoing series, so uh, I'm really going to look forward to that. And what is it about Ohio man and people hitting UFOs with their cars? Because that seems to be a thing in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there there was one. I was contacted by some guy um, from from like, oh shoot, is it Ravenna? 
some I think it's Ravenna where where he had this crazy story about about a guy that hit a an alien with his car mm-hmm. that I thought was fantastic. Is that the one? Didn't we talk about that on Twitter? Or yeah, we did. Uh, it, yeah, it was um, so in the. 1967 flap, there are two cases from Ohio of people either hitting an alien or a UFO with their car, which is fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't remember that eyewitness that ended up hitting the alien, but uh, Robert Richardson was the second one, and mm-hmm. it occurred later in 1967, but he was just driving with his friend Jerry Quay, and they rounded this bend, and in the road was a UFO and he tried to slam on his brakes, uh, but he couldn't stop in time. He ended up hitting the UFO and the moment that he did, it just completely disappeared. So he drove home, uh, dropped Jerry off. And uh, when he woke up the next morning, he went to look at his car and what he saw was that there was a piece of metal embedded into the bumper and a portion of the Chrome bumper had been stripped away and, uh, he ended up having that, uh, the metal and his bumper analyzed, uh, because this was during the Condon committee. So it all went to Colorado and they didn't really find anything too out of the ordinary. Uh, the metal was pretty ordinary. The bumper, I think they said was like, uh, where it was shaved away. It was like 98% magnesium, which, uh, I guess wasn't too out of the ordinary, but kind of out of the ordinary. It was weird how they stated it, but he ended up having this these two men in black encounters after the incident. And yeah, uh, during the second one, the, the the guys intimidate him to the point where they basically say, "If you want your wife to say as pretty as she is, you better get the piece of metal back." <laughs> oh, holy crap! Yeah. So is that is that what? Is that one Ravenna too, or where, where's that one? No, um, I'll have to get back to you on that because I can't remember exactly where it is. But yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah, sixty-seven man. It was it was one of those weird I'm, cases in there. See, I'm really curious if that's close to it, more like Southern Ohio because that that like sixty-six, sixty-seven Mothman flap mm-hmm. is is it stretches up well into Ohio. It also stretches into like PA and Kentucky and that, that gets like overlooked a lot. I mean, even our, our movie, you know, pretty much just focused on the, the point pleasant and Gallup police stuff, but the 66 and 67 stuff was, it really seemed to stretch all over Appalachia. Yeah. So I'm just curious if, if um, that is a, it's like a town that would sort of fall within that Appalachian range. Uh, So I guess uh, he was near Toledo when it happened. Okay. Yeah. That's not at all near, near the Appalachians, but still that's cool. That's a cool story. Yeah. It's just weird. Two cases in Ohio with people just hitting stuff with their car. (laughs) And then there's a a really fascinating case from, uh, I think it's Idaho. Uh, earlier in that year where uh, these two, I think they were Native Americans, were driving um, down some, like, rural dirt road, and they came upon a UFO. Some aliens got out of this UFO, actually approached their car, which had died at the time, and one of the aliens actually got in the car and started driving it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what else are they going to (laughs) do? Right, like, you know, just take it for a test run. Uh, it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, 
Uh, and to your point about talking with Ryan, he's like one of the easiest people to talk to. I've been on his podcast like I think five times now, and like uh, I appreciated yeah. that in the documentary, he w- he told the story of George Obarski, which is a story that I told to him on his podcast. It's a phenomenal story, and uh, it, nice. it's definitely one of my favorite UFO stories, and one that gets lost in the shuffle of 1975 because of. Uh, it's it's mostly engulfed by Travis Walton's sighting, and there's a really another f- like really fascinating case. Uh, this uh, abduction account uh, of this guy David Stevens is just a really fascinating case. Seventy five, uh, another another great year for ufology. But um, so like toward the beginning of the year, uh, you know, for the last year, Small Town Monsters has done Kickstarter campaigns, you know, uh, for future projects. So uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the upcoming campaign that you guys have uh, and about the projects that uh, the other projects that you're going to be releasing this year uh, alongside on the trail of UFOs. Yeah, um, we are doing so. Yeah, we this is actually our our sixth Kickstarter um 2020 is the five-year anniversary of small town monsters so we've been doing this as long as we've been around um the the first one we ran was pretty much just a fun like production of dvds for (laughs) for minerva monster (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and and each year they do a little bit better so um so that's been great it's it's i think there's something very different about stm kickstarters compared to like most crowdfunding campaigns i see for film are are like, hey, back, give us a bunch of money, and we'll give you maybe, like, a DVD and your name in the credits. Like, we have all sorts of stuff. So so it's more like a pre-order campaign than anything. Basically, mm-hmm. what you're get, putting into the campaign is what you're getting back in your rewards. So, yeah. um, so this is, like, the five-year anniversary. So we have a bunch of, like, five-year anniversary stuff. Like, there's a full-color Small Town Monsters t-shirt that Sam Sheeran designed, and then there's a five-year retrospective book um, coffee table book. It's actually like a full landscape sized coffee table book. Um, and it has like behind the scenes photos and, uh, a lot of like concept art. And then it's, it's a book. So it's written by Mark Matsky, who's one of the STM crew. And it's like a retrospective. He goes movie by movie, uh, and takes you like what the behind the scenes process was like. And that dude has like a weird photographic memory to the point where he was <laughs> writing things that I had totally forgotten about. And I also couldn't figure out how he knew. Cause I thought there were things that I had only ever like thought. Um, so that's cool. And then uh, there's a bell, Witch statue copies of the movies on DVD. There's Blu-ray this year. We're, we're adding Blu-ray to the, to the uh, campaign. So that's pretty cool. And, um, let me think. Oh, well, and then the projects we're funding are on the trail of UFOs. So obviously that's already done. So, so the money we make there will be going to, you know, the, uh, produce the DVDs and Blu-rays. Mm. And then, um, we have only done about 30% of our filming for the Mothman legacy. And we haven't done much of anything on the Mark of the Bell Witch other than preliminary interviews. So everything we we get from the Kickstarter this year will go into those projects. Um, the Mothman Legacy is a look at the, and I was going to send you the trailer and totally forgot because we, we have a trailer debuting next week. Um, the Mothman Legacy is a look at sightings of the Mothman around Appalachia following the 67 
Silver Bridge collapse. Mm. Um, and we have, we've already done five witness interviews and we have more lined up. So this is going to end up being like a really witness, eyewitness account, heavy film. Probably it might be the most on screen interviews with eyewitnesses we've had, had in an STM doc, which is great coming off of Momo and Terran skies, which were unfortunately like lacking in, in those areas. I love both those movies. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, so, so that's Mothman Legacy, and then the Mark of the Bow Witch is going to be a look at uh, Adams County or Adam Adams Tennessee um, sort of relationship with the Bow Witch legend, and we are hoping to actually be able to film recreations in the the um, the recreated Bell Cabin that they have in town. So we have a good relationship that that is uh, building there with the, with the town of Adams, which is a big deal because i don't know if you know much about like ghost adventures but they seem to have really created some issues in that town so uh, um, I, th- I think they create a lot of issues pretty much wherever they go yeah we, we so so i'm i'm looking forward to to both of these i know uh the mothman legacy is is very it's very much a sequel to the mothman and point pleasant um there's even musical cues from the mothman and point pleasant in the trailer um but the song, man, just the song in the trailer is amazing. Uh, Brandon, I had an idea for a song and I gave it to Brandon and then he like turned it into something completely different and got this uh, amazing vocalist to do, to do, uh, to do the vocals in it. And yeah, the, the trailer for that will pretty much clue you into what we're going for tonally. Um, but the Mark of the Bell, it's just going to be like a hammer horror throwback in documentary form. Oh, nice. That's awesome. I uh, can't wait for that. Um, so, oh, uh, and uh, yeah. one other thing, I forgot yeah. to forgot to mention this. Uh, one of our one of our stretch goals, and we we're just sort of finalizing this, but one of the stretch goals that we're going to set for this year's campaign is actually going to be another on the trail of um, special. It's going to be like a ninety minute special. I probably should hold off on announcing what the subject's going to be, but it's it's basically if we can hit the stretch goal, we're going to go out and make another on the trail of that will come out before the year's over. Awesome. So, folks, get out there. Pledge to this Kickstarter cuz you're going to want like all of these like and and it really is cool to describe it as like a pre-order because it does feel like that in in many ways. So, Get out there, pledge to it. Uh, if you love Small Town Monsters, you need to do it. Um, so I, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, man. Uh, it's been such a fun time talking to you. Um, could you just uh, tell the listeners where they can find more out about Small Town Monsters and to uh, connect with you? Yeah, um, face, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter as well. Seth Breed's love. That's not my actual name. It's Seth Breed love. There seems to be <laughs> some confusion. Um, and, uh, and so we're on the social media and then like, um, uh, YouTube and, uh, small monsters.com. And then for on the trail of, there's a website on the trail of TV and you can actually go there, and uh, everything is conveniently linked on there, including there's a player embedded on there. So you can actually watch every single episode of On the Trail of um, On the Trail of Champ and On the Trail of Bigfoot is right on that website. And both of those series are also on like YouTube and Amazon. 
as well. So, and if you watch our stuff on Amazon, uh, the best thing you can do to support us is actually to, to leave us a review. And we just put up Momo, the Missouri monster on Amazon prime for, for free, um, for subscribers last night. And Momo is our weird, um, it's a, I don't even know how to describe it really. It's like, it (laughs) takes narrative film elements and throws them together with documentary. And, uh, it's a, it's a loving, homage to late night horror hosts paranormal television and drive-in movies of the 1970s yeah it definitely came off as feeling like a love letter to that to that era mm-hmm. and i think it, it made it uh, a really great film so uh man uh yeah i just i love everything that you guys do and uh yeah man can't wait for awesome. on the trail of ufos to come out cool thanks man thank you Special thanks again to Seth Breedlove for coming on the podcast and talking about the upcoming project on the Trail of UFOs. Their Kickstarter campaign just launched, and you can find more information in the show notes for this episode. Don't forget that we still have our big book giveaway coming up. The uh, last day for entries is February 21st, and all you have to do is either leave us a review or... Recommend us on social media, screenshot it, and send it to our email, ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. And if you want to connect with us, head on over to ourstrangeskies.com where you can find links to our social media profiles, episodes, the Patreon, as well as our store and blog. Our theme song was composed by Big Cats, and our logo and web design is by the great Desdemona. And finally... Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. Or on the trail of UFOs, in gray we trust.